This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of the Mayrip, the Middle East Report studio in Washington, D.C. Check out our website, districtsentinel.com. Don't worry, we're not going to do what you all think we're going to do, which is some prank, some gag on April Fool's Day. Mainly because I have noticed everybody online hates April Fool's Day all of a sudden. It, I it I think it's just a cheap, it's a way to get cheap laughs. It's uh, so one, one day of the year. What's wrong with that? <laughs> What's wrong with that? Why is everybody so? Did April Fool's Day get canceled? It's just stupid. It's a dumb joke. I'm going to turn into like one of those dumbass conservative comedians <laughs> when it comes to April Fool's Day. Like, what is with younger people these days not even enjoying April Fool's Day pranks? April Fool's Day is the equivalent of your jackass friend in college who would lie to people about what their name is at parties and be like, uh, hey, what's up? My name's Brian. And they'd be like, oh, hi, Brian. Nice to meet you. And then they'd turn around to you and be like, the idiot thinks my name is Brian. What a jackass. <laughs> <laughs> good one i mean I'll, I'll tell you a joke the real news <laughs> politics all right i won't defend april fool's day i i came into the show planning to defend it but it's not even it's not even worth it you made a pretty good argument here i hate that guy i hate that guy at parties i think there was a good BBC April Fool's Day gag back in the day where they said that spaghetti grew on trees. Mm. But uh, didn't, a, a, we do, ever, didn't we do one a few years ago where we said that like Orrin Hatch's real name was Warren Hatch? <laughs> <laughs> I think we were talking about that and, and we didn't do it, but we should have done that. Yeah, We did one about um, the FCC canceling hoax broadcasting laws. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But Joe Biden <laughs> harassment in the news about time here. This who didn't see this one coming um, and who didn't see the uh, donut Twitter backlash to it. People defending Joe Biden. Can you imagine the 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 gusto you've got to have to defend Joe Biden from these claims, knowing that there's endless amounts of video footage of him being creepy to women? It really boggles the mind, but. These people hearing hearing these these people defend Biden sort of uh, reminds me vaguely of conservatives uh, defending Kavanaugh. Yeah. Oh, for <laughs> sure, it's the same thing. And you have you have Mika Brzezinski on Morning Joe do the whole, you know, we're supposed to listen to women and believe women, but <laughs> but this person uh, is close with Bernie Sanders, so maybe we don't we shouldn't believe her. It's disgusting. Uh, a second person has come forward saying uh, Joe Biden made them feel really uncomfortable when he wiped their nose. <laughs> that is very creepy. Extremely fucking again, creepy. Again, it's, it is a little... I guess what's surprising is that this story was inevitable because, again, the, the video evidence is overwhelming and it's gone viral so many times at this point yeah. that... I guess what's surprising is how <clears throat> just brazenly hackish the uh, Biden apologists are being. It's just, it's awful. Yeah. Saw an interesting piece today about Venezuela, venezuelaanalysis.com. Uh, uh, often they, they give uh, interesting takes uh, with nuance about the situation down there. And 
I was struck, which by- is different from us. We <laughs> we kind of leave the nuance uh, nuance at the door and go full tank when it comes to Venezuela. <laughs> but it was uh, it, it, an interesting look at Chavismo as a movement and not just sort of personalizing everything about and and having it about Maduro, but uh, talking about protests down there before Guaido declared himself president and there were a lot of popular protests uh, with strongholds in working class neighborhoods to uh, uh, decry the situation. And uh, then Guaido came around and and all the protests went away. (laughs) Nice one, Guaido. It was uh, pretty... I don't know. It's an illuminating piece. And... uh, <clears throat> this this quote was pretty uh, illuminating. Quote, these mass protests dissipated once Guaido entered the political scene uh, because that popular force, which is discontent, that has criticism towards the government, treated as a new variable entered the fray, that new variable imperialism, hmm. of course. So the United States, Guaido, the great uniter. <laughs> All right, we're going to get to the rest of the news here in just a second. Uh, first, Tourney challenge update. The NCAA tournament is down to the final four. And really, the District Sentinel March Madness bracket challenge is also down to like four people who can win this thing. Um, Beto O'Dork is currently winning the tourney challenge. What up, Beto O'Dork? Uh, but they've lost Kentucky, who they picked to win the whole thing. So they're in trouble. Uh, poised to win it all is Asphalt 420, who still has Virginia alive. So if if Virginia wins a game, they'll jump into the lead, Asphalt 420. Uh, so too does 64 Dem 2020 candidates. Uh, they have Virginia as well. Uh, they can move up too, but it'll be hard to pass Asphalt 420. Um, another one, It Is My Bracket, also can has I an outside say, chance if Michigan State wins. Can I just say if Asphalt 420 wins, I hope they name the studio the Asphalt 420 studio. <laughs> God. <laughs> would we approve that? Are you kidding me? Of course we would. Uh, <laughs> we'll be debating that off air, but uh, yeah, we probably would end up approving that. Um, other other announcement here. Seven days. Seven days. The worst tweet tournament returns. We'll unveil the brackets in seven days. Voting uh, will kick off next week. I think the uh, NCA game is Monday or Tuesday night. Uh, voting will begin after that. This is the this is the next bracket challenge after March Madness. Um, send us your nominees on uh, on Twitter. Tag us at Worst Damn Tweet. Um, I think we're trying to. David Frum won last year's tournament, which we described it as the worst tweet of all time. So we took in tweets that were several years old, and David Frum came out on top. So this year, we're going to put David Frum in this tournament as the number one seed, and the rest of the entries will be tweets that happened since last tournament, and we'll see if any of them can knock off David Frum and be the new worst tweet of all time. We might throw the winner of Meltdown May. True. That was Elon Musk. That who, was. Uh, <laughs> who ended up <laughs> facing SEC fines <laughs> because of a tweet. Which he, he's still dealing with the fallout, I yeah. think, from that case. And uh, So send us your tweets. That's, at, that's all we'll say about Elon for now. At Worst Damn Tweet, seven days we'll unveil the brackets next Monday. Voting begins a few days after that. 
It's Monday, April 1st, 2019. Here's the news. The House Oversight Committee said that a whistleblower has come forward detailing Trump administration security clearance shenanigans. Chair Elijah Cummings publicly released a letter to the White House saying committee staff interviewed the whistleblower last week. Identified as a veteran nonpartisan White House staffer who has served in her current position for 18 years. Tricia Newbold told the committee that the Trump administration overruled the rejections for dozens of applications for security clearances. She also alleged to be targeted for retaliation for declining security clearances. According to a memo published today by Cummings in 2018, Newbold started keeping a list of clearance denials that were then overturned. Quote, her list eventually grew to 25 officials, including two current senior White House officials, as well as contractors and individuals throughout different components of the executive office of the president. These individuals had a wide range of serious disqualifying issues, the memo continues, including foreign influence, conflicts of interest, personal conduct, financial problems, drug use, and criminal conduct. Yeah, only like one of those would apply to us. I mean, we we can't (laughs) knock people for having a hard time for getting security clearance, given how often we talk about weed, we would be denied security clearance. But really, the majority of these people are like the dude who is abusing uh, his wife, uh, Jared Kushner, who has all sorts of foreign debts, things like that. that yeah. Uh, Rob Porter, you were talking yeah, about. Rob it, Porter, yeah, Rob Porter, yeah. I'd much no, rather have some stoners in there than uh, than these guys. Right. Well, the memos uh, didn't actually name any officials. Uh, the New York Times noted, however, as you noted, Kushner uh, has been in the news for security clearance issues. Uh, and chief of, ex-chief of staff John Kelly... Uh, was involved in the granting of the security clearance to Kushner. Yep. The Supreme Court apparently no longer recognizes the concept of cruel and unusual punishment since it voted 5-4 to four on Monday to allow the state of Missouri to execute a man by torturing him. The case centered on death row inmate Russell Bucklew, who suffers from a rare medical condition known as a cavernous hemangioma. That causes painful blood tumors all over his body. Doctors have warned that because of his condition, a lethal injection execution would cause Bucklew immense pain. He'd essentially asphyxiate from blood pulling in his mouth. Bucklew's attorneys have asked that due to his condition, he be executed a different way using nitrogen gas, which would lead to a quicker death. Mind you, he's not asking to be spared. This is how grim this is. He's not asking to be spared. Uh, He's asking for a different execution from uh, uh, an execution that won't end up torturing him. And there is precedent for this. Prior decisions by the court have required that states not make executions more painful than they need to be, and inmates have been able to petition for alternate execution methods as a result of that. And in 2018, when Bucklew's case first came before the Supreme Court, former swing justice Anthony Kennedy voted to block Bucklew's execution, But that all came to an end on Monday. Kennedy is no longer on the court. He's been replaced by frat boy Brett Kavanaugh, who delivered the decisive fifth vote for the court's conservative majority. The ruling essentially eviscerates the Eighth Amendment and could open the door to states bringing back cruel forms of execution, including bringing the death penalty against children and people who commit crimes that historically have not warranted the death penalty. Wells Fargo, the latest synonym for corporate banking asshole, has been in the news yet again. Late last week, CEO Tim Sloan stepped down after less than three years in charge. Sloan was the guy who took over in 2016 for John Stumpf, 
who had been fired after it was revealed the bank signed up customers for millions of accounts without their permission. Stump. Stump. Dunk on stump. <laughs> As you might remember, the bank was fined $185 million by regulators for the mess, and headlines about the bank misdeeds haven't stopped coming since. For a good review, by the way, check Yahoo Finance's recap of Sloan's tenure. The piece is called 19 Wells Fargo Scandals that Surfaced During the Tim Sloan Era. <laughs> One of those flagged a Wall Street Journal report on Wells Wholesale Banking Division altering, quote, business information like social security numbers and dates of birth without client knowledge. The incidents happened as the bank was trying to comply with a deadline related to an anti-money laundering control. Now, that's worth flagging because there was more news today about Wells' anti-money laundering controls. Regulators are permitting the firm to gain a stake in a multi-bank anti-money laundering venture. This according to a letter from regulators first reported by an investigative news service called the Capital Forum. The letter, dated February 5th, is from the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. The regulator offered conditional approval for Wells joining the multi-bank venture, which it described as, quote, permissible data processing activities. So... Smells like a whole bunch of technical jargon for self-regulation to me. Yes, which, uh, as we know, works out great, as we've seen recently in the airline industry. The Government Accountability Office released new numbers today showing yet another failure of the American healthcare system, this one related to behavioral health. In its report, the watchdog agency cited data from 2017 showing that more than 58 million Americans had some sort of behavioral health concern, like a substance abuse problem or mental health issues. However, 70% of those people, nearly 40 million, did not seek any treatment at all. Why? Well, because of the costs. GAO reported that two-fifths of those dealing with substance and one-half of those with mental health conditions cited a lack of insurance as the prime reason why they were unable to seek treatment. Even people who did have health insurance reported that they were discouraged from seeking mental health treatment due to high co-pays and deductibles. Others who forego treatment cited the social stigma attached to mental health, lack of knowledge about where to go to get such treatment, and some reported a skepticism that such treatment would even be helpful for them. I, uh, I, I'm glad that this report did mention the social stigma, but clearly the, uh, <clears throat> the numbers are staggering. One half of people with mental health problems, two-fifths of people with substance yeah. abuse problems. When conservatives, whenever the gun control debate comes up and conservatives say, let's talk about mental health. Fine. Let's talk about mental health. Let's get single payer. So we get all these people covered. Yeah. Because private insurance does not cover this shit. No. And uh, the government accountability office noted that it wasn't even able to fully report on this issue due to the lack of national data about mental health treatment costs. We're not even following this. J.O. said, quote, our work found that there is no overall generally accepted estimate of all the healthcare costs associated with untreated behavioral health conditions, which seems like something that should be studied, especially before people spout off about how great our healthcare system is and how expensive a single payer system would be. It's like they don't even know how much we're spending right now on behavioral health and things like that. Worst, worst country. <laughs> worst country here. Yeah. All right. <laughs> We'll end the newscast on that. Thanks for listening. Thank you to our sponsors, the Congressional Dish podcast hosted by Jen Briney. Find it at congressionaldish.com. Another sponsor, Middle East Report. Find it at merip.org. 
For more content like this, subscribe over at patreon.com slash district sentinel. We'll be back tomorrow. We're here in DC so that you don't have to be. And remember, send us your worst tweets at worst damn tweet. <laughs> Jeff Stein just owned us on Twitter. He uh, responded to the worst damn tweet with a link to all of Sam Sachs's tweets. God damn, Jeff. God damn. All right, we're out.